The Good GP podcast is excited to have MedTech Global as a sponsor. MedTech is on a mission to digitally transform general practice so GPs can focus on quality patient care. For more information about MedTech Global, visit medtechglobal.com. You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to this special episode of The Good GP. I am one of your hosts, Christina Delange. And as we are about to see a new crew of doctors embarking on their journey through general practice training, this is a special episode dedicated to sharing some tips for not just surviving, but hopefully thriving in general practice training. We are going to be joined by a number of very experienced GPs, as well as some trainees and fellows to share their tips about general practice training. So if you are a current trainee or a supervisor or practice owner supporting registrars, this episode is for you. And if you don't fit into these boxes, please do still stay tuned. I can guarantee there are going to be some nuggets in this episode for everyone, even the most experienced of clinicians. I would like to begin this episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands upon which this episode was recorded. This episode was recorded right across the nation. I acknowledge the Yagara and Turrbal people, the Gundajmara people, the Noongar people, the Turribalung and Gurung people, and the Bindal and Wulgarukaba people. I pay my respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. Now, to get us started today, I am joined by Dr. Bruce Willett. Many of you will be familiar with Bruce and potentially know that he is best known for his outlandish shoes, but more than just his crazy shoes, Bruce is the immediate past vice president of the RACGP and Queensland faculty chair, a GP practice owner and GP supervisor. Bruce, you have mentored and supported countless registrars as well as supervisors through your various roles. So I'm intrigued to hear what is your top tip for GPs in training? Hey, first of all, thanks for having me on and a big welcome to all of the new colleagues. We really need more GPs and uh, thanks for joining up and seeing the light and choosing the best medical subspecialty of all. So look, you said that I can only have one top tip, which is a bit like asking me to choose between my children. I have more top tips, I think, than I have grey hairs. I've I've got lots of these things. Um, I'm going to try and sneak in two. So one for when people are first starting in general practice, and and that's um, to consider the patient that's sitting in front of you as your patient. So the first patients that you will see will have regular doctors often in the practice who will see them regularly. But when they're sitting in front of you, they're your patient, you're responsible for them. You do need to be mindful of you know, the regular doctor, the plan that that regular doctor has, and you need to be respectful of that plan. But I think it's really essential that you do take responsibility and you do go with your best judgment on what's best for that patient. My second one is really for when people have been in general practice a bit longer. And this one comes from my wife, who are looking at some of the days that we get a bit more frazzled, which happens to us all. Some days are harder than others. And she says to me, if you see three dickheads in the row, then you're probably the dickhead. 
And that's just to say that if uh, if you study, our patients are really our greatest resource. They bring so much interest and joy into our life, getting to know their stories. And if you're getting cheesed off and, uh, and not getting that joy out of your patients, then you need to have a, a bit of a rethink about how you're operating your day, how you're working and providing a little bit of space for you to decompress and, and get the joy back into general practice. Well, thank you, Bruce. They are some great tips to get us started there. Our next guest, I am joined by Dr. Rebecca Loveridge. Beck has recently been appointed as chair of the RACGP GPs in Training faculty and consequently RACGP board director. Congrats, Beck. It's a really exciting opportunity ahead for you. And Beck, you are an RBTS registrar currently working in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health in rural Victoria. So you're going to bring a unique perspective to this question. What is your top tip for doctors starting out in general practice? Thanks, Christina. Hello, everyone. I'm talking to you today from Portland, Gunditjmara country in Victoria. My top tip for new registrars is to create templates. So if you start doing this early, you'll definitely thank yourself later. There are a few online template documents floating around, but I found making my own really useful for my exam study. So I highly recommend you make your own too. I used OneNote for all of my study notes, but there are loads of options out there. So do what works for you. In terms of structure, my templates always start with history, focusing on red flags and differentiating symptoms, thinking about what I need to know to apply clinical reasoning and work through the differential diagnoses. Then examination. In my templates, I mainly have special tests as these are the ones I tend to forget. For example, McMurray's and Apley Grind, rather than all the steps in a full knee exam. Though, obviously in the consult, I still do this and document findings like range of motion. Don't forget your relevant bedside tests like urine dipstick, ECG and blood glucose. Next, onto investigations. So your relevant pathology and relevant imaging. Hot tip, the fewer tests you order, the fewer incidental findings that will confuse you and the patient and usually lead to irrelevant investigation cascades. Lastly, management. Starting with simple non-pharmacological and lifestyle changes, the bread and butter of GP. Then medications, handouts, and if you include links to these in your template, it saves you needing to search for the right one when you're in the consult. Then I'll almost always have red flags, sometimes referrals, and again, always the follow-up plan. If I'm not fussed about when the patient should come back, I say review PRN or as required. If those listening are anything like me, you'll over-order investigations, especially at the start of training. So one last tip, the website of the Royal College of Pathologists Australasia, or RCPA for short, is your best friend, especially if you need to interpret a weird test result you just weren't expecting. So thanks. Beck, I love it. I really love that you highlighted that clinical templates aren't just a time-saving mechanism. They are actually something that can help to trigger our memories in terms of what information we're needing to gather and potentially what education we're needing to give to patients as well. Can I put you on the spot and ask you what is your favorite template that you have created or most used template maybe? Yeah, I guess for me, I'm a provider of medical terminations of pregnancy and there's lots of steps and medico-legal aspects. So that's probably the template that I use the most often. 
but I have them for every condition in the college curriculum now that I've finished my exams. So yeah, there's a few of them out there. Well, next up in this special episode, I have Dr. Emin Mubashir. Emin is a new fellow having recently completed the RBTS program as an international medical graduate. She is now also a senior lecturer and medical educator and practices general practice in Katanning, which is in southwest Western Australia. Emin, it's great to have you. And I'm interested to hear what's your top tip for doctors starting out in general practice? Hi, Christina. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, looking forward to sharing my tips with you. I guess my biggest tip is um, directed and aimed specifically at doctors who are relatively new to the Australian health system or international medical graduates or overseas trained doctors, whatever you may want to call them. And it is about figuring out the right time to write the exams. Because I believe, and this is speaking from personal experience, um, that if you decide to write your exams too soon into your training, you may be setting yourself up for failure. And on the other hand, if you have been doing general practice for a very long time, are probably done with the training and have not attempted or attempted and failed at passing one of those exam segments, then you're setting yourself up for failure again. And I will expand on that, um, but I believe, and I'm talking more about the um, RACGP exams. So the standard that you're being assessed against are safe, unsupervised general practice anywhere in Australia. And that really means, especially for the KFB and the CCE segments, that you've done enough comprehensive general practice to be able to write those exams and really show the examiner that you are able to safely practice unsupervised anywhere in Australia. And by that, I would mean that you've done enough of your bread and butter general practice, but then you've also done or spent some time in the rural and remote settings and really understood the nuances of how healthcare is delivered and the limitation of resources that um, people in very remote communities may experience, as well as doing other sort of work. So doing a bit of aged care work, doing a bit of veterans health, doing a bit of refugee health, and getting a sense of working with First Nations communities. Because I, uh, having done exams very recently, believe that sometimes in a KFP setting or a CCE setting, um, it's not your theoretical knowledge that counts. And so you really need to have done enough general practice work um, to sort of fall back on because you encounter a question and you get stuck and you're like, I have never read about it, but oh yeah, I seem to recall that I've seen a patient and this is how I manage them. And so this is just what I'm going to do in that exam setting. And that kind of works um, for a lot of people, but obviously to be able to do that, you should have done enough work. I feel if you're trying to write exams too late, then you're again setting yourself up for failure. And that's probably because one is perhaps too set in their incorrect ways um, without the right kind of guidance. And so again, you may not be very up to date with the current guidelines if things have changed. You may not be in contact with current medical educators and supervisors. And that, again, just sets you up for failure. So it's really a sweet spot. And I think all IMGs especially would be in a good place to figure out what their sweet spot could be. It could be a couple of years. It could be longer. But I have a feeling anywhere between three to five years would be a good time. 
I do believe, and you know, in my other work, which I do for the University of Western Australia now, I see your local graduates really start getting their clinical exposure as a medical student. So they are interacting with different kinds of patients and they are really learning those extra software skills from the very beginning of medical school which is something an overseas trained doctor may lack because they're coming from a very different health system, trying to acclimatize to how things work here, and then yeah, starting into general practice. So yeah, just, just finding that right balance of how long you should be into your training, into your journey here in general practice before you actually do decide to write the exams. So that, yeah, that, that's, that's my top tip. Thank you, Emma. And they are some great insights there in finding the balance of when to sit fellowship exams. And actually, staying on the theme of fellowship exams, my next guest, Dr. Clay Rowe, is also going to give us a bit of a tip around exams, but maybe from a slightly different perspective. Clay is an RVTS registrar currently at the Indigenous Wellbeing Centre in Gainda and Bundaberg, and has recently taken on a registrar liaison officer role and is on the advisory Council for GPRA. Clay, it's great to have you on the podcast. Tell us what is your tip that you wanted to share today? Yeah, certainly. Thanks very much, Christina. It's great to be here, actually. I really love listening to your podcast. So my top tip, I guess, would be probably stems from what I've seen this year amongst my colleagues and myself, where we've all been preparing for the exams and everyone's been stressing quite a lot and perhaps even playing a bit of catch up. So my top tip would be um, really get in and prepare from day one, from the moment you hit the ground. And that would be the best way I think anyone can do that is to treat every consult like an exam question. So I reckon that the colleges are all trying to make sure that we're good doctors. And the way they're doing that is through knowledge and I get skill. And the skill from what I reckon that I've seen is probably communication and how you work with patients and how you explain things. So really, I think carrying on from that, it's about having a bit of a structure to each consult. And then if you learn that from day one, you'll get good at the knowledge, you'll get good at the skills, and then you'll be able to hopefully fly right through the exams. So I reckon when you see a patient, just remember, of course, what's the important features of the history. So, you know, have a think what they're telling you and what are the important things to, to pick out from that that are going to guide you towards a certain diagnosis or, or a certain set of differentials. And then I guess think, you know, what's the important features of the exam? So know what, what things are going to lead you down which path. Um, and to kind of guide you in that, remember all your resources. So that's your ETG or the health pathways or you know, the um, Royal Children's or any of those guidelines are going to really sort of help you, you know, pick the teeth out of those things. So keep referring back to those things constantly. And then I guess sort of flow on to, you know, what are the important things not to miss? What are the red flags? What are the things that are reassuring and what are the things that aren't? And then use that to guide you, I guess, into what do I need to investigate. So what test do I need to order? What would I do here at the bedside or in the clinic or what would I need to send away for? And then, you know, that's naturally going to flow on to how we're going to manage this. So, and some of that's what you're going to do today. And some of that's what you're going to do next week or when you've got some more results. And management's always going to include a few things. So, you know, it's always going to be, or not always going to be pharmacological. Sometimes it will be, um, but there's always going to be some non-pharmacological stuff as well. So I reckon, remember the big things, you know, there's always going to be exercise and diet and not smoking and eating well. And, uh, you know, think about all the other things as well. So think about their screening and think about Will a GP management plan help this patient? So think holistically with all your patients there as well. So yeah, that's kind of my top tip. So if you kind of have a good structure, think about every interaction, 
that you're having with those patients as a potential exam question and then answer, go through the, the process, I guess. It will not only be a bonus for when you get to the exams, but realistically will make you a doctor in the, in the process. So yeah, that's, that's what my thoughts are anyway. So Thanks, Clay. That's really helpful to reinforce the practical and very relevant learning you do in the consulting room when you're actually seeing patients. Our next guest is GP, practice owner, supervisor, and the current vice president of the RACGP, Dr. Michael Clements. Thank you for joining me, Michael. I'll ask you, what is your top tip for a successful placement in general practice? Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the most important things I like my trainees to understand is how they use time. Uh, I don't mean time in, in terms of time management, in terms of 15-minute appointments. I mean, how do they use time as a diagnostic tool or as a therapeutic tool? Uh, how do they use time as a way of managing the patient? So we often train our medical students very well to try and fix everything in one OSCE station or come up with a diagnosis and management plan for all of the patient's problem in one exam question or OSCE station. And when you're in hospital as a junior doctor, you're often forced to try and fit everything into the admission period of time and get everything done before they go home. And there's time pressure to do whatever you can there. Once you're in general practice, one of the best things in our toolkit is the ability to break an appointment over several appointments and time, but also the ability to use time as a diagnostic tool to figure out whether or not a condition that the patient's presented with needs intervention or not. So just a simple example, we don't need to treat every abdominal pain that presents in general practice. Every headache does not need a medication or a scan. Every time somebody comes in with a sore knee, they're not going to need a medication or a referral for an x-ray. And in fact, time is a really good treatment option. You can use time and say, listen, I, I know that we don't need to do anything with this right now, but if we give it some time, if we give it another six weeks, let's review and we'll see if it's going to change what we do. We also use time as a way of protecting ourselves. None of us really feel joy when we get the, the little old person that comes in with their feelings of dizziness or feeling a little bit unwell or a little bit out of breath because in our minds are the hundred different diagnoses that we had to know to pass our exams. And I guess we're looking at the waiting room and we're thinking how on earth are we going to get through all of these differentials in the next 15 minutes. So what we use is time. So we say, well, you know, what do I have time to do now and what can I break up over several appointments? And so, for example, when I get a bit of a train wreck coming in and it's the first time that I've met them and they've got a shopping list, now registrars will be well used to this because everybody's new to them and everybody's sick and we're seeing much more and more severely chronic disease. So when I see those patients, I'll often say to them quite honestly, um, that's quite a list you've got there. We're going to use time to get through them. Today, these are the ones that I'm going to deal with, but these are the issues that we can delay. So I think if we became more confident in using time as a way of sitting on our hands and not intervening, not giving a drug, not giving an injection, not giving an image, if we use time as a way to buy us some breathing space so that we don't feel overwhelmed with all of the patient problems, if we use time as a treatment when we know that most mild conditions will get better by themselves if we do nothing, if we use time for the chronic cough or time for the, for the headache, we'll often get the disease revealing itself. Significant diseases often reveal themselves as significant diseases with time and dangerous things don't get better over time as a general rule. 
So I'd really love all of my GP registrars from that first week in to become experts at time. And that's experts at understanding how to use time, how to recommend time for the patients, how to manage the patient's conditions with a priority over different times. And then they'll find that they'll be a bit less overwhelmed, a little bit less stressed out as to the overwhelming amount of work that we tend to face as GPs. Thanks, Michael. Some really good reminders for us all there, actually. Now, joining me next, I have Dr. Karen Savory. Karen is a GP and medical educator with many hats. Karen, it's great to have you on the pod today. And please share with us, what's your favourite tip? Thank you. My tip is to be curious and to ask plenty of questions. We know that supervisors and medical educators often worry far more about registrars who don't ask enough questions than those who ask plenty of questions. And even we know when registrars have been really experienced in the hospital system, coming into general practice, often patients will present differently and sometimes are managed differently as well to what they've actually been used to. And don't be afraid to ask your supervisor or your practice nurse or your practice manager even what made them consider a particular diagnosis, a particular treatment or even a billing. Um, It's a really good way to learn is asking questions. And finally, be curious uh, with your patients as well. So find out what it's like to live with their particular condition or the condition in their family or their life experience. So we know that learning to walk in someone's shoes really gives you a a lot to learn from their lived experiences. Karen, curiosity is a beautiful way to end this episode, not just for our keen registrars or GPs in training that are starting out, but hopefully we all remain curious and asking questions throughout our entire career. Thank you to all of the guests who have joined me today to share their top tips. Uh, We hope that this episode was useful for you. Thanks for listening to the Good GP Podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribed on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or would like to contact the Good GP, send an email to thegoodgp at gmail.com. The content of this podcast represents the opinions of the Good GP, hosts and guests of the show. The content is aimed at general practitioners working in the Australian context and is not intended to represent medical advice. Any listeners experiencing symptoms or who have concerns about their health should seek advice from a registered health professional. We make every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate and up to date at the time of recording, but welcome any feedback or corrections. The content of this podcast is general in nature and does not refer to specific patient management. We recommend all health professionals review local and up-to-date guidelines prior to any clinical decisions.